Welcome, all of you wine and true crime lovers. I'm Brandy. And I'm Chris. And this is Texas Wine and True Crime. Thank you for being here, friends, for this week's episode, The Irving Murders. Hey, Chris. Greetings, Brandy. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you this afternoon, evening? <laughs> I'm doing great. We've got a little wine, had a little dinner, early dinner-ish. Uh, it was great. Can't wait to talk about it. Can't wait. We did. We had a little very delicious wine. Ah, uh, so good. I said it was in my top five. I did post that. I think it it's been one of my favorites. Yeah, we kind of saved that one to the very end, I think. Yeah, we did. Purposely. And it worked out to our favor. Perfectly. Uh, just a few quick announcements, Chris. We will have our Murder Hour Zoom to discuss the Lindsay Buziak case, which I just covered on Patreon. Uh, this Zoom will be this coming up Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. I know we usually have it Thursdays. We're going to shoot for Tuesdays. Um, we've had some requests, so we'll see. We'll see. Change it up a little bit. Excellent. Uh, I will send out the links. Uh, I will send out the links on Monday. I will also post the link on the social, so please keep an eye out for that. Uh, Chris, it is summertime, and just like last year, we will be taking June and July off from Patreon to, you know, spend time with family. Go into dry dock. Yep. Reflect on the last year of the show to work on some new recipes and new ideas we have coming. Um, yes. Summer always brings many, many activities. <laughs> always. So we'll be back August 1st. Patreon members, no need to do anything. We have paused billing. Um, so you take a break. We'll take a break. Um, we will be back August 1st. Thank you again so much um, for your support. So stay right where yes. you are. We'll be back in August. Yes. Thank <laughs> you all for your support. Um, and just like last year, honey, we are also not going to be recording new episodes in the month of July. We did this last year. It worked out fine. We're still going to be posting and we're going to be working on some awesome recipes um, going into August and some uh, we're going to be looking into some bigger cases. So I'm going to still be working and doing some research, but uh, we will just, you know, repost episodes we've already done for our, our listeners out there who haven't uh, caught our episodes, but plenty to listen to. But yeah. We like to spend some time with family. Summer is kind of our time of reflection, I feel like. Time of reflection. Yeah, a lot of people do it at the holidays. I feel like summer for us, and we have time with the family, and we like to take a trip or two, and I don't know. I like to see my reflection at the pool. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's hot here in Texas, so the pool is the only place to be when it's hot outside. Okay, well, tonight we are sipping on a great wine. What are we sipping on tonight, honey? Well, we are sipping on Estoy Aquí. Yes. From Cellarat Vineyards. Yes, we are. And we can't wait to talk about that and what Chris paired with that wine at the wine recess. All right, honey, are you ready to jump into this week's case? Yes, let's jump in. All right, friends, it's time to sip some wine and talk some crime. In April of 2021, Irving, Texas was rocked by the double murder of a one-year-old child and a six-year-old. The mother, Madison McDonald, never denied killing her children. But the question that remained was, why? All right, Chris. So these cases are never easy to talk about. But watching and listening and being aware of the signs is why we talk about these types of sad cases. You know, we say, if, always say, if you see something, say something. But these murders, honey, cannot always be prevented. But it takes the community, family, friends, coworkers to be the voice when children don't have one. So this is a rough case. Very new case in our area. Um, it's our responsibility to serve the greater good and the community sp to speak up when we see a problem. Um, 
I say this with respect to Madison's mother, who recognized and tried to get her daughter to understand her mental illness. But as you will see in this case, as I talk about it, Madison was in denial about her mental state. So mental illness, Chris, a very um, hot topic here in our community going through COVID. Um, You know, uh, lack of resources, sometimes people will say in this department and people just being able to get the right medication, the right help. Postpartum can be a problem, but it's a real problem in this country. I would agree with that. 30-year-old Madison McDonald was living in Irving, Texas with her two beautiful daughters, one-year-old Lillian Mae McDonald and six-year-old Archer Hammond. She was going through a divorce with her youngest child's father, Christopher McDonald. According to police records, Christopher claimed the relationship with his wife became strained once the pandemic hit as she was becoming more and more delusional. Her family says there were signs of Madison's mental state starting around the age of 13, Chris. She would tell her parents and friends that she wanted to harm herself, that she wanted to kill herself. She had been undergoing mental treatment up until the murder of her daughter. So, Chris, 17 years, she has been seen multiple times for her mental illness. And her husband was aware of all this? Her husband, her family, you know, it started at the age of 13, You know, it's, you know, I don't know. You're in the medical field. You have people that come through, you know, where you are at your hospital who have mental, um, you know, have some mental issues are on the medicine, but sometimes you see people not on the right medicine, right? Or maybe it's so extreme that they can't find a happy medium for things to, to sort of level out. So I don't know if that was the problem here because she is in denial a lot through her life, according to her mother, about her mental state. Well, it sounds like she probably wasn't taking her medication if she was in denial. Exactly. Yeah. So um, she didn't need it or something. Yeah. So for 17 years, um, they've been dealing with this. In the fall of 2020, Madison was involuntarily hospitalized to receive treatment for her mental health struggles. So prior to the murders, she had been diagnosed with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Now, her mother said she completely rejected her diagnosis. Completely rejected it. As I'll talk about later, she actually was blaming her family for creating this, basically telling people she was sick to do harm to her and her children. But she was voluntarily seeking treatment? Involuntarily seeking treatment. She was hospitalized at CPS. I'm going to talk about this, Irving PD. They got involved a few times in the home. This stuff came out into the trial, but there were clearly some problems going on and that people you know, were aware. On April 5th, 2021, Madison McDonald walked into an Irving police station, used the phone in the lobby, and dialed 911. She calmly tells dispatch she had sedated her daughters, tucked them into bed, and then smothered them. Police are then sent, Chris, to the lobby of the station and then to the home of McDonald. She is arrested on site in the lobby and police on the scene determine that they have two girls deceased. Each girl is found in a separate bedroom. Wow. So Chris, we have a case of a mother admitting to the murders. The bodies have been found. So police don't need to focus on the who they just need to figure out why. 
McDonald sat in jail until her trial, which took, which just took place in April of this year. It's interesting that she went to the police station, though, and dialed 911 as opposed to just going to the desk. Or Yeah. Uh, this will play a big part in her, um, I believe, her conviction um, and what will what happened in court and what came out in court. Clearly, this girl has had a pretty much a half of a lifetime with a mental illness that has not been addressed properly, or she's just so ill that she can't see past getting better. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it, it's hard to say we're not her, um, but you know, it's a. It's really interesting, and this will this will almost determine, Chris, the difference between did she know what she was doing was wrong, right? And they will they will use her walking into the lobby of a police station, all, basically to determine that she did know the difference. And now it's time for a wine recess. Wine recess. Wine recess. Okay, I did say this wine is now one in my top five, and I mean that it's really good. So we'll talk about the wine so good. first, then. Sure, if it's go in for your it. Top top five it is excellent so once again Celerat uh, provided us with the estoy aquí in spanish means here i am and that's a bold statement because this wine certainly is like hey here i am drink me it was yeah but very delicious very dry um easy drinking light bodied red wine it is a blend of and i always um mess this Muevedre. Mourvedre. I love that. It's. Yes. A, I love the taste of Mourvedre. Syrah, and Zinfandel grapes. And so I believe it's 20% Mourvedre, uh, 20% Syrah. And then we have the um, remainder as Zinfandel. Okay. 60%. Okay. But very delicious. And so I chose, um, well, and, and looking at this wine, it recommended to be paired with pastas or barbecue. Texas barbecue, of course, because we're in Texas. Of course. Um, so I didn't want to do a pasta, uh, but we did have a lot of le- mini sweet peppers. Uh, for whatever reason, I bought an overabundance and had some Italian sausage. So I decided to do a kind of a pesto. Actually, had leftover pesto from another recipe. So why well, I chose to use that as well too. But a uh, sausage and pesto stuffed mini mini pepper um, with a pretty simple tomato basil tomato tomato sauce mm-hmm. on top and. Did have uh, some arborio rice that we had um, from a previous uh, episode as well, too. So I just decided to make a simple risotto, Parmesan risotto. so good. Uh, but very light, easy meal to make on a um, mm-hmm. on a night like this. And then, uh, of course, a delicious wine to go with it. And I thought it went really well. Yeah, it's so good. The you... wine was very refreshing. It just it had a, a great body to it, though. That's what I really, yeah. I mean, just... And we will have um, this recipe up on Patreon, uh, our Patreon friends we mentioned. Even though it is June, we're going to put that one up um, for you because that's a perfect summer one, I think, to make. It's per- like easy at night. It's refreshing. The wine is delicious. Uh, speaking of the wine. And, and I do have one correction. It's oh, 60% yeah. Mervedre and then oh. 20% Zinfandel, 20% Syrah. Ah, okay. My apologies. That's okay. Thank you so much for correcting Certainly. Appreciate that. Um, All right. So Texas Wine Club, go see them. Y'all, we're going to come out with this cool video of the new bottles they sent us. So um, you're going to hear more about them here in the new future on our um, episodes of Texas Wine and True Crime. But go to Texas Wine Club. um, Go to their website. Put in crime, you guys, for the code. You're going to get 50% off um, these wines. Uh, You get to pick between six, nine, and 12 bottles. 
Chris, we hands down, this has been delicious wine. So good. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm just so glad they decided to partner with us. I know in all these good wines, we always have just the one, <laughs> the one bottle. We always say, oh, oh sample, I know, sample, I know, I know. Sample spin from Baskin Robbins. We need some backups. <laughs> some backups. Yeah, no kidding. Well, it was great. Thank you for the dish, Chris. Um, thank you, Texas Wine Club. And thank you, Cellar Rat. We can't wait to try more of your wine. As I mentioned before the break, Madison McDonald faced a jury of her peers in April of this year. Chris, this is really when the public started to get a glimpse into this woman's state of mind and how things were unraveling in her home. The father of one-year-old Lillian, Christopher McDonald, testified that he and Madison were going through a divorce at the time of the murders. He told the court his wife started to become unstable, and that grew over the years. He testified that she had multiple personalities— um, and that she started to accuse those closest to her of abusing her children. Now, CPS had been um, out to the home for multiple visits, and those details of those visits were brought up during the trial. Um, Irving PD had been called out to the home a couple of times. There were a lot of accusations going on. Uh, Christopher McDonald tells the court when COVID hit, the paranoia was like at an all time high with her. She, we're sitting at home. And that probably just amplified a lot of the symptoms. Well, yeah. I mean, people, it, the pandemic was hard, like real hard. And people couldn't leave. You were stuck in your home. A lot of people don't do well with those things. And, you know, you have a lot of time to think and, and process. And, you know, who knows, right? A lot goes through your mind when you're dealing with this kind of thing we all went through called COVID. Um, but he tells the court that she was accusing him of sexually assaulting their daughter in the middle of the night. She also accused him of crawling through the ceiling or, or being sneaky about getting to the bedroom. And he says, quote, she was making accusations against her mom, Archer's dad, me, lots of different stuff. Classic schizophrenia. The father of six-year-old Archer Hammond, so this is the older child, Timothy Hammond, who is the father, told the court he was in disbelief when he found out Madison had murdered their daughter. Hammond told jurors that he believed Madison was a good mom and that he never really worried about his daughter's safety with her. Now, Hammond testified that he noticed that she was becoming more and more paranoid and began to claim that the girls were being abused. Testimony at trial reportedly showed that Madison McDonald harbored an irrational belief that some people, Chris, were attempting, attempting to take the children and sell them into sex trafficking. Now, I want you guys to think about this. I'm going to touch on this at the end of this episode because that's how deep in my heart this case is touching me. I told you, Chris, it's, it's hard to do children's cases anyways. But now you have this woman having multiple conversations with multiple people about the children, about these paranoid thoughts about the children. She's not really, I mean, she's throwing accusations at the adults, but she's having these thoughts and they all are related to the children. That to me is just such a, a big red flag and sign that something should have been done early on. 
Madison's mother, Julie Kidd, testified that her daughter had been diagnosed with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Chris, she told the court she had multiple conversations with her daughter the morning of the murders and said she was very manic. She started accusing everybody of everything. She was being hateful. She was throwing out negative connotations. Um, Her mother also testified that in the last several months, Madison would frequently deny that she had any kind of mental diagnosis and basically that her family was making it up to hurt her and steal from her. Once again, that sounds like someone who's schizophrenic. Yeah. Uh, Not only the stealing, Chris, but physically, sexually abusing her children, um, wire transfers out of a bank account, uh, a Mac computer using digital wallets, so she's accusing people of theft, um, and people following her, which, again, is schizophrenia. Yeah. Um, McDonald's mother also told George, Chris, about the multiple personalities and that she had given all of them names. Have you ever seen the movie Sybil? Okay, yes. Have you ever seen the interview that Oprah did with the woman who had like 32 personalities? It was the most incredible Oprah episode I have ever seen. Y'all have to go Google it. This woman really did, Chris. Like she talked about it. It, She would change on stage. It was really interesting. And it's real. It's so real. And again, why didn't somebody do really, really do something about this? Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. I mean, you're limited, though. I mean, other than doing a 72-hour hold on someone and then... I'm kind of talking more about doing something with the children. Yes, there's no doubt. But, I mean, I think that involves... uh, Uh, CPS and Irving PD who were there multiple times. Well, no. I mean, it sounds like the husband. I mean, you know, you can't be with somebody like that. That's almost like a separation. I think it's a denial. I think people are in denial, unfortunately, in this country. I mean, I just think that when we... We hear but we the, cover the these children cases don't all go the to time. CPS though they they have a father is he is I he know. doing anything so well the spokesperson to- for the Irving PD Chris testified that McDonald's demeanor when they she made that phone call was calm she alleged and told them that her children were being abused and she would do anything to protect them including eliminating them that was quote. There is no question the defense, Chris, claimed the insanity plea on this one, but there was a forensic psychologist for the defense that testified and said that McDonald was what she was experiencing was paranoid delusions of the girls being sexually molested and being put in child porn. So this is the defense psychologist. Uh, she said the defendant did not get adequate treatment for her schizophrenia. Okay, so that's what we're dealing with based on a professional's opinion. She said, quote, she had told them that she was having intrusive thoughts telling her that she had uh, that she should drown her daughters. Yeah, because it's almost like, um, is she at the point where someone has to 
get her committed against her will, you know, to a state institution or a private institution or something like that. Which they did in 2020. Committed or? Yeah, like involuntarily committed because she was a threat to herself and others. So this is about a How long year. Was her stay, this was um, probably not very long. This is about 13 months before the murders. Yeah, because I, th- I, I believe I'm saying correctly, if someone, you know, say the police take someone for a, you know, some sort of psychiatric mm-hmm. hold, and it's 72 hours and that's as long as you can hold someone. Yeah. My guess and, was probably and, that. Long. And beyond that, they have to, you know, willingly want to go unless yeah. they, you have to get a court involved um, to where they're considered a threat and they're committed. Where they, that's at the point where they really can't make decisions on their own. That should have really been the step taken. And that requires, uh, yeah, but I, I don't think that's as easy as you no. think it is. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot involved into that, um, and you know, it's. Especially when there's children involved. I mean, I know. Not, there's definitely was not enough intervention, but however, I'm not sure of all the steps someone does have to go through. Cause I know, especially with something yeah. like that, it's, um, there's a lot more you have to do. Um, I would think that if somebody tells me they're having thoughts about drowning their kids, I better make a phone call pretty quick. And I'm going to put a little urgency on that with that 911 dispatch to let them know that maybe this isn't the first time that conversation's taken away. I feel very differently about this. I feel like if you're calling as a concerned person and you are worried about the welfare of two young children, they will do what they can to address the situation. They have reports of CPS. They have reports of Irving PD. So I understand there's probably, a, a, it's not as easy as I just say, like, do something about it. Well, but I think C- it is CPS easy to just make a if, phone call. If CPS gets involved in something like that, they're, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you're, the kids would be alive. Um, but however, you like, the, since they have a father, I mean, it's, it's not a, um, I guess that's probably why I wouldn't think you get CPS involved. Yeah, but they I don't think he was living there. You know what I mean? They were going through a divorce. I don't think he was living in the home. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like he should have just taken custody and sought something like that to get them out of there too. I mean, yeah, she's speaking to the, both of the fathers of her children and the mother, right? Like these are the most three people that see her the most. Uh, Chris, there was a psychologist for the prosecution team that at first claimed she did show signs of the mental illness, but she said at the end of the day, She testified that she knew right from wrong. She walks into the police lobby, calls 911, and she says she recognized um, the difference between right and wrong. And authorities needed to be notified, right? Picking up the phone, calling 911, you know you've just killed your children. Authorities and people need to now get the bodies. Like they said that is rational thinking when it comes to knowing that what you did was wrong. So now you have to get the authorities involved. Yeah. I still think it's a little odd. She didn't just call 911 from her home. And then she went to the police station. I mean, she went there. I don't know. You can go separating herself. That's why I mean, I think that's why knowing she knew she did something wrong. That's why she got out of the house. Mm-hmm. Hence the no insanity plea. So she did not, of course, her, I'm sure her, uh, lawyers advised her not to take the stand uh but jurors did get to see a video of her being interviewed by police and she explained some of the various episodes that she suffered through and she said that day quote everything was normal i just felt weird i was really out of it but that was normal for this episode 
The question before the jurors was whether she understood at the time that what she did was wrong. Well, Chris, it took them less than one hour for them to come back with a unanimous guilty verdict of two counts of capital murder. Less than an hour. That's pretty fast. Uh, She was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So she has been tried, convicted, and will spend the rest of her life in prison um, thinking about what she did to her kids. Yeah, Yeah, and I feel like, too, that's a a proper punishment. It's because there could be a lot of other things in play, too. Did she do it in spite of her ex-husband going through a divorce? We're not ex-husband, but, you know, separation and being aware of what she did. Insane people typically don't have awareness. That's right. I feel like she was aware. I believe so, too. Hence, not truly insane. Do I think her mental illness... Played a big role. Played a role. But then again, a lot of people that do stuff like this have some sort of mental illness. They're just not, you know... Being treated or being diagnosed. Totally crazy, someone may say. I mean, but to sedate them... And then tuck them into bed and then smother them. Like, I think Andrea Yates, you know what I mean? Who, who Andrea Yates. Yeah, but she didn't sedate her children before. No, she, she did them. not. No, she did not. But so in, in sedating them, you're almost making it a more peaceful passing. Yeah. No struggle. You know. And then again, does that also helps your process of, of smothering someone? Uh, because if you're sedated, you're not breathing as. Yeah. And so and did she think that through? And if thinking that through, I think likely so. Yes, you know, and thinking that through, does that mean she knew what, exactly what yes, she was doing? That's the gist of what we're ending this. Yeah. One. So this case is heartbreaking, and the reason I open this episode with addressing the awareness around us is I feel deep down in my heart that this could have been prevented. We know CPS and Irving PD had been called multiple times to the home. We know in 2020, she was committed for being a harm to herself and others. Why? Why in the world would they allow the girls to just go back to her after this event? The children should have been removed from the home, and she should have had to undergo mental health interviews under the care of a doctor and prescribe the right medication to address the issue. When you have someone clearly in distress, naming her personalities, denying her mental illness, and having manic conversations about the girls over and over and over again, why didn't someone step in and say they are not safe in this environment? Family and friends, we never want to think this can happen to us or believe that someone we love can do this to her own children. But the fact is that it happens all of the time and it doesn't discriminate from race, gender, social status. This woman was clearly delusional, paranoid, and desperately needed full-time psychiatric care. I'm just so sorry for the babies that were taken from this world because we as a community didn't protect them.